Hey, Forge family. As we've studied through the first three servant songs of Isaiah, we've been introduced to the servant of Yahweh, whom the Lord himself chose before birth, whom the Lord himself named, whom the Lord himself commissioned, to whom the Lord himself promised absolute success, and whom the Lord himself discipled. Um, in this servant of God, there is gentleness, obedience, righteousness. He trusts in God's help, and he trusts in God's help for vindication. He has confidence in his own innocence, and he has the capacity to lead and disciple others. This servant will ultimately restore Israel into a right relationship with Yahweh and draw all nations to following and obeying God. This servant voluntarily gave his back to be beaten, his face to be torn as his beard was ripped away and he was spat on. Last week we looked at the morning-by-morning encounters of the servant being awakened by the Lord. So the question for us is, has that begun in us yet? Are we asking in faith, intent on obedience? Are we listening, expecting Him in our day? Lord God, we do long for you. We want your leadership in our hearts. And we're willing to set aside head knowledge to gain encounter with you. Come, Lord, we lean in toward you. Amen. This week, we will be studying the prologue, the preamble, of Isaiah 53. This begins at the end of Isaiah 52 and is the start of the fourth servant song. So let's read Isaiah 52, 13 to 15. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, so this appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what has not been told them, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. This fourth Servant song presents details of the servant's suffering and death. Scholars disagree on almost everything in this text. The validity of the author, the translation of the words, and and the interpretation. However, evangelical theologians are unanimous in the belief that the servant is Jesus Christ. So here in these three verses... Yahweh is speaking. And beginning in verse 13, he says, we, we, you know, we, we begin where we began in Isaiah 42. Remember the first servant song? And it began with, Behold, look, see my servant. And this closes the loop. It actually starts the conclusion of the songs. This servant of God, the, ser- the Lord, will act wisely. And that's one way to translate it. He will accomplish the great commission of the servant. 
and God is proclaiming success. The alternate translation has the servant prosper and be successful. So the Hebrew word sakal means wisdom and effectiveness and knowing what to do to succeed. And 13b, there's a drumbeat. There's a rising crescendo in these three verbs. The servant will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Now, another, uh, are these verbs really synonymous? Are they synonyms? Are they each amplifying the former? Or are they sequential? I'm drawn, with many others, to read this as a foretaste of the resurrection of Jesus, followed by his ascension into heaven, where he sits at the right hand of the Father. Verse 14, many is is the entry word. Many, and that includes the Israelites, it includes many nations. Many will be astonished. Hebrew word is shamam, but it means to be horrified. To observe absolute destruction. See, the servant's appearance was marred. Okay, the Hebrew word is mishkath. Okay, it, it makes him awful to behold. He was bruised, torn, beaten, disfigured, and covered in spit. The servant did not suffer more than anyone in, in uh, any other person in all of time, but rather he experienced disfigurement to such an extreme that he no longer appeared to be human. In verse 15, the body of Christ is in debt to Larry Huck. He's a pastor who's, I believe, in Texas now. He published a book highlighting every place Jesus shed his blood and then talked at length about what that means to us. So let me just read those off here. Jesus was struck in the face, beaten in the presence of Caiaphas, the high priest. His head was covered, and he was repeatedly struck in the head, then challenged to prophesy who had hit him. Jesus was sent by Pilate to be scourged. Jesus was covered then in a rich robe and crowned with thorns. The thorns were driven into his scalp by being beaten about the head with rods. Then the robe was ripped from his bleeding back. Jesus bled as he staggered under the weight of the cross on the way to Golgotha, up the Via Dolorosa to Calvary. He bled when his hands and his feet were pierced. His, his body gushed forth blood and clear liquid when he was pierced by a spear to confirm that he was dead. That blood, sprinkled, spattered, poured, gushed out of him. The text in verse 15 says, Quote, he will sprinkle many nations. This, this word sprinkle is the source of lots of bitter arguments. 
Now, in the culture of Isaiah, in his day, wedding guests were sprinkled with perfumed water from a silver dasher. You know, they, would, they had a bowl and they would pick up this silver thing and they would splash it upon the wedding guests. Weddings usually lasted a week and there wasn't a great deal of opportunity for bathing. And so this, um, sp- this uh, being sprinkled with perfumed mod- water may have been uh, a form of, of uh, group deodorant, if you will. In ritual use, the priests used blood, water, and oil. And they sprinkled it on the mercy seat. Or they, they sprinkled it on the, the horns of the altar. <clears throat> and in case of individuals, uh, they sprinkled it on individuals or in front of them. Priests used one finger to dip into the, into the blood and then dash the droplets of blood. Individuals were instructed to use hyssop. Now hyssop is a, is a member of the, of the mint family. It's very common in the Middle East, okay? And it was used as a dispenser in the case of cleansing and purifying. Here, the servant will sprinkle his blood over many nations. He will wash away sins. He will expiate guilt. Here, Isaiah introduces the propitiary work the atoning work of the servant, Messiah, Jesus. Now, propitiation, good 35-cent theological word, propitiation means to regain favor, to appease, to conciliate, to atone. So, atonement means the suffering, the shedding of innocent blood, and the dying of Jesus satisfied the Father, Yahweh, who had held the sin against all mankind for all time. In his atoning death, the penalty for all sin and for all guilt is washed away. It's nullified. It's removed. And all suffering of illness, injury, and diseases was wiped away as well. All was made pure and acceptable to God. Now note, the issue is no longer sin. Rather, the question is, what will your response be to Jesus? Is he a saint? Is he a prophet? Is he a historical figure? Is he a myth? Or the very Son of God, who paid for your sin with his own blood and who invites you and everyone else all mankind, to kneel, to repent, to receive, to worship, and to obey. Now let's go back to Sprinkle. Okay, there's a big disagreement here among scholarship. Uh, you know, they, our scholars are, are really arguing still to this day. Okay, uh, Because for them to become uh, validated as a scholar, they have to write something, publish something that is unique. That has never before been spoken. It adds on to and exceeds what has been written before. And the problem with that is. That leads to significant speculation. Now some even today are presenting the Hebrew word nazah. 
as if it was coming from the Arabic derivation. See, naza means sprinkled. They say, no, no, it's not Hebrew. It's Arabic, which means not to sprinkle, but to startle and to cause someone to leap up in amazement and surprise and shock. Other scholars want to present naza as a word meaning anointing. And on and on and on. Okay, granted, this is a very difficult passage in Hebrew. And it's safe to say that no English translation does it justice. Some others, some authors, choose to use both sprinkle and startle. That the kings of nations will experience the atonement of sprinkling of the blood of the servant. And they will be shocked to silence by the effectiveness of the atonement. Verse 15b. Well, let's read it. Verse 15 says this. Last part of verse 15 says, Kings will shut their mouths on account of him, for what has not been told them they will see, and what they have not yet heard they will understand. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 15, verse 20 and 21 says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation, but as it's written, quote, this is from Isaiah, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who had not heard shall understand. At the time of the Apostle Paul, he was, del- he was teaching about the resurrected Christ, the Messiah, to the Gentiles. And they were getting it. F. Dwayne Lindsay says, Initially, many were appalled at him, the servant, beaten, tortured, reviled, so to be in appearance as less than human. But ultimately, kings and nations who experience his provision of purification from sins are amazed that he is exalted above what is human. Do you see the contrast there? He suffered so greatly that he appeared less than human, but then when he is raised up and exalted, he is lifted to a position higher than that of human. Forge family, I started this podcast using the word preamble. Spread across 15 verses from Isaiah 52.13 to 53.12, there appears 36 separate details of how the servant suffered, how, how he was treated. The writings in the notes of Finnis Jennings Dake, a Bible scholar 100 plus years ago, he, he brings us to something in the, in, uh, it's basic logic, but it's the law of compound probability. Each detail of a prophecy doubles the probability that the prediction will not come to pass. In other words, if you have one prophecy with just one detail, you have a one in two chance that it will be correct. Okay? It's either a yes or a no. 
a prediction with two details has a one in four chance of accuracy. Now remember, we're dealing with 36 here, okay? What I'm about to put before you, family, shows the impossibility of fulfillment apart from divine power and action. Beginning at Isaiah 52, verse 13, there are, th- there are these listed elements. And I'll just, I'm just going to read them to you, okay? We're going to study them in the next session, but I want you to get this. There's 36 of them. His visage was marred more than any other man. More marred than any other. Suffered unbelief of men. He suffered human limitations. He had no form or beauty. Had no comeliness or glory. Men had no desire for him. He was despised of men. He was rejected by men. Suffered many sorrows. He was acquainted with grief and sickness. Men hid their face from him. He was not esteemed by men. He bore griefs and sicknesses of others. He carried sorrows and pains of men. Men counted him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted by God. He was wounded for our sins, bruised for our iniquities, chastised for our peace, striped for our healing. He suffered over the the going astray of his own creation, suffered overseeing all men going their own way in selfishness. He bore sins of all men. He suffered oppression by men. He was afflicted by men. Arrested by men. Justice was taken from him. He lived among wicked men. He was violently taken away by men. He was stricken by for sins of men. Bruised by men. He took sicknesses of men. Travailed in his soul. And he was classed with criminals. So if you have 36 definitive prophecies... You have one chance of it being correct out of 68,719,476,736. Likewise, there are 32 fulfilled predictions listed in the text from Isaiah 52.14 to 53.12. Of those 32 fulfilled prophecies, it is a chance of one in 4,294,967,296. So family, you have to understand, God is at work here. Just as Yahweh promised the servant, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, this is what Paul said by Holy Spirit. He says, For I'm confident that this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul writes to the believers with the same confidence that the servant showed to God. The outward expression of faith in the Philippians will result in a completed work, a perfected work, by God the Father. The images we've seen of the suffering of Jesus do not just do justice to this account. You see, Hollywood... And artists cannot present what Jesus endured unto unto death. Neither can screenwriters, poets, scholars, and novelists present the atoning work of Christ. Some of this is beyond all but faith and trust. He washed us clean. He made a way back to the Father. 
and his blood speaks today. Choose him now. Point to him now. Lead others to him now. Honor and obey him now. Lord God, we are the recipients of generations who have called on the name of Jesus. Now, some of you may be the first in your generations to acknowledge the servant as Lord and God, but many will follow you in your path. So, O oh Lord, lead us on as followers and disciples. Wash us in the blood of Jesus. All right, Forge family, I love you. God bless you. We'll see you soon.